This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to the website sands-trustee.com. On the line with us, Angela Calla. So for the CKNW audience, you know Angela well. She's been uh, here on CKNW for many years, has on her radio show called The Mortgage Show, and uh, also author of a terrific book that's, that's done incredibly well. It's called The Mortgage Code. And I want to read the the uh, the subtitle, and this is, I think, key, helping you move up the property ladder, get the best mortgage, avoid costly mistakes, and save money. Angela, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Well, we're really happy that you're able to slot us in because we know you're you're busy, busy person. Um, the, in this segment, we wanted to talk about uh, just the really good lessons that people can learn um, by reading the mortgage code, and of course, that all is determined by your vast experience in the business. So, we're like I say, we're just so happy that you're available to talk about it. Oh, thank you. You know, it's a pleasure of mine to be able to empower Canadians to help them really understand how to make good decisions and understand how to get the options that are out there working for them. And I've always believed, and when I became a mortgage broker over 16 years ago now, when you learn what institutions aren't telling you, you're really able to make good decisions. But you can't do that unless you're working with someone who doesn't have a bias. And so as an independent mortgage professional, we work to protect your credit score because we only use one application to shop your mortgage with multiple lenders. And we actually tell you all the pros and all the cons of all the different institutions. And you get additional access to lenders that are not available to the public that have much better terms that save you money year after year. So when life happens, as it happens to all of us, we get ill, we acquire outside debt, we have things come up, then we have the ability to have our mortgage help us by being with the best lender to begin with for our circumstances. Or if we've had scenarios where our credit has taken a little bit um, of a season off where it's not mm-hmm. as, as healthy as we hope it to be, then we have the opportunity to, to shop lenders that ha- can understand that and provide us solutions to help us live our best life. So I look at this book as a holistic approach to see how you can utilize what you have to help you live your best life in terms of a mortgage and your overall financial wellness. I think there, there's so many great points that you made there, Angela, about working with a mortgage broker. And I hope listeners are paying close attention because, yeah, just the, the impact of only having one single credit report, being able to shop to multiple lenders, all that's great. And we're going to talk about that in, in our segment today a little bit. Uh, I'm just curious in terms of the book, Angela, who is the book really aimed at? So who would be the target consumer of, of someone for the mortgage code? Anybody who, well, it's interesting that you say that because the most recent review I got on the book was a single mom who is renting right now. Her credit was not good. She was in a relationship where her partner, her boyfriend, had um, credit cards under her name that he was utilizing, and she's renting, and she wanted to look at how she could ever buy a home. Mm -hmm. She thought that home ownership would be way out of reach for her. 
And when she read my book, she felt totally empowered to understand that home ownership is possible for anyone if that's a goal of yours. It's just about setting up a plan on how to do it. So this book tells you how to establish credit. This book tells you how the lenders are reviewing the application. It tells you what your responsibilities are as a borrower and how your mortgage can be utilized as a well tool. And in her words, she loved it. She wished she got this in school. And as soon as her son is in double digits, she's going to insist that he reads it. Because uh, anyone who knows a little bit about finance knows the the compound principle, the power of 72. And the sooner that we can empower Canadians to learn about financial literacy, the more empowered they are to be able to make better decisions for their life. So I would say um, anybody who obviously has a mortgage or wants to get a mortgage, but also right now we're actually doing financial literacy training like with the Coquitlam Express, the junior hockey team. So these people are 16 and 17 years old, but they can actually look at this plan and instead of listening to everyone saying, oh, I don't know how to get into the market, they can look at this and say, you know what? Um, my rent's going to be 1950 a month. If I want to own a place for that amount, I need to save $500 a month for four years and I can own a home. So it's really moving the conversation from this can't happen, I can't, I can't get help, to how can it happen. And we're actually doing the top five um, home buying myths on Global Morning News on the 28th related to that as well. So anyone who wants to own a home, anyone who owns a home, or anyone who wants to encourage their teenagers to really look at what it will take for them to own a home. Oh, oh thank you, Angela. And, and I think it, it's interesting, too, as you, as you speak about, and I've come to know this in my, in my practice here, that mortgage brokers are actually experts on helping you build and repair your credit, which a lot of folks, I think they delay reaching out to a mortgage broker until, hey, I want to go buy a home. But I think you're saying, you know, you can actually have that conversation, get a little bit of guidance on how you can position yourself even for a few years off. If you're looking for a credit building expert, you know, you might not think of a mortgage broker, but from my experience, that's where a lot of the expertise with this lies. It's exactly where it lies because our interest is to help you. So a lot of people think, well, I have to have so much of a down payment or I want to pay off those student loans or, you know, I have to wait for this certain option. But the reality is how they allocate their funds is how we help them determine what the best options are. And people think, oh, well, if I don't have any credit, it's a good thing. And it's not a good thing. They need to have, you know, yeah, three or four trade lines that are actively trading. And how close they are to those balances have an impact as well. And once you have a proactive mortgage broker in your life, we're constantly not only monitoring the mortgage market. So if there's a change in interest rates of of about 0.5 of a percent, or your lifestyle change, you're going to have a baby, you're considering separating, you've had a health issue in the family. We're proactively working on both of those aspects. So market, which you can't control, and lifestyle, which hopefully we can advocate for you and be involved in to have you have control of the options that are out there. So you're not victim to circumstances when it comes to your mortgage. And a lot of people get a mortgage and it's just transactional. But mortgages actually need to be modified and reviewed and proactively managed in order to get the best out of them. And when you have an expert that's working with you, we're going to help ensure that you're always utilizing that to your advantage. And a key example that we just had this week, someone who came in for a home renovation loan and they said, oh, we only want to get X amount. But when we showed them that they should actually get more from our experience, that 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 wouldn't impact them and that would only empower them to look at different kinds of opportunities and they can put that money back on there if they don't end up using it, 
they understood it. But people have specific fears or certain things that they've heard from people that they're influenced by. And because the market is changing so rapidly, it's really important that they really get advice from the key source who's doing mortgages on a daily basis before they decide what they think is best for their mortgage. One of the things that sort of keeps popping out for me as you're talking, Angela, is that the proactiveness of uh, being a broker, a mortgage broker, it just, it's so uh, the exact opposite of how I think a lot of people, certainly I did, uh, view a bank uh, when you go to a bank to get your mortgage, because that seems to be the norm. I know uh, it's... That, that's the first thing that people think about. But the proactiveness, and I think that's one of probably one of the, the biggest differences between you uh, or, or people who do your work and a bank. Is, am, I, am, I, am I right about that? Or Significantly. We are, our <clears throat> core values is we're here to save you the most amount of money. And the banks are there to make the most amount of money off of you. Exactly. So we're completely in different night and day. And what the banks don't tell you is they don't tell you their marketing and they market to you. Um, if you're a good client of theirs, they say, Oh my goodness, you know, uh, Elaine, you've been a client here for 20 years. When you come to get a mortgage with us, we're going to give you the best discounted rate. You're going to have this private banker that's looking after your mortgage. We're going to give you our posted rate minus 2%. And Hey, we'll even throw in free checking for two years and an iPad. Well, you're feeling pretty good. You feel, you feel valued. You feel like you belong. You feel like you're recognized. And that discount is significant. So at that point, you're thinking, wow, I'd be crazy to go anywhere else. Exactly. But what they haven't told you is that that 2% discount is actually going to be used against you when you need to modify your mortgage because 7 out of 10 Canadians need to make a mortgage modification within 36 to 42 months of having a mortgage. And just pausing there, Angela, because that blew me away when you first told me that when we sat down. So that percentage of mortgages aren't going to make it determine we'll be looking at potentially a mortgage penalty. That's right? That's right. And for those that are stuck and can't get out of a mortgage penalty then unfortunately they pay the ultimate price because they're stuck in a situation where they're usually paying more interest somewhere else or they can't move up the property ladder. And to give you an example, if you as a consumer walk into one of the five major banks and get a fixed rate on a $500,000 mortgage, within that statistic of 7 to 10 and a Canadian, if you happen to fall into that statistic and you need to break your mortgage, then to break that mortgage is going to be anywhere from... Fifteen to twenty-five thousand dollars to break mm-hmm. your mortgage. Wow. That's a crazy amount of money. Mm-hmm. That's right. But that two percent discount felt really good when they were marketing it to you, didn't it? With exactly. the free checking and the iPad. I mean, come on, right? Well, and the other um, thing is, like you mentioned, you know, we're going to throw in this, we're going to throw in that. You've been banking here for twenty years, or ten years, or five years. We know you. You you know us, and that's what gets played on. Uh, but uh, at like as you just described, in the end, it's uh, it's to your detriment. And what they haven't told you is that all the major banks invest in monoline lenders, which only give mortgages to mortgage brokers like myself. And to exit those mortgages on that same five hundred thousand dollar mortgage, you're looking at a five thousand to seventy five hundred dollar penalty instead of the fifteen to twenty five thousand. So it's almost half, or more than half, and, way more than half. And, yeah. And, it, and you're telling me, Angela, this is essentially the bank's same dollars, but they're either loaning yeah. them within the bank at very worse terms for the consumer, or they're loaning them through a monoline that's accessible through a mortgage broker at much better terms for the consumer. Do I understand that right? 
Exactly. Okay. And so essentially they're competing against each other, but they're not going to tell you that because if you as a consumer don't know better and go to the bank directly, then that's the price you pay for not knowing. So knowledge is power, which is why I've been so passionate about sharing this message, not only on CKNW and global and various outlets, but that's why I really felt that upon 15 years in business, I wanted to come out with this book to really tell all about what you need to know about what you're being marketed to, but what the reality is behind that, what you're not being told, because that's where the real savings and empowerment comes as a consumer. And the thing is, getting a mortgage, just from a layman's point of view, which is where I sort of come in, is that it's a big, scary, huge commitment, uh, and you have a way of boiling it down to not just the nuts and bolts, but the whys and the the where's and how this thing works. Exactly. And there's so many, really it comes down to, does the person that I'm working with, who have I, who I've aligned myself with, does this person have the ability to be a thought leader and know how to utilize any market condition to me as the borrower's advantage? And that's really the difference because products and terms and circumstances are always going to change, but knowing how to handle those changes and who's going to benefit and who could be vulnerable to help those people is really what the key is. We've been talking with Angela Calla. Her book is The Mortgage Code. All the proceeds go to a wonderful charity called Access Youth Outreach Services. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. This segment's called Reading the Fine Print. And Mm. can we also say that the devil's in the details and that kind of thing? (laughs) What what you don't know can hurt you. Right. Many different expressions. All of those those phrases. Somewhere in your financial agreements, the fine print, you can find it. It's there. And as they say, devil's in the details. Um, so we're talking about credit agreements. Can we first start with a with a definition of what a credit agreement is? I, I, I'm sure it's a very official term, but what does it mm-hmm. mean? It's probably the thing that you don't read uh, when you're given a credit card. Got so it. there's you know the cardholder agreement, oh, credit that's agreements, the, the, like the enormous eight, sometimes. eight pages. Yeah, yeah, yeah very thing. small, Got small it. print. It's probably the way you treat your iTunes service agreement. Just you know, run to the right. end and sign it, and, and <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that. Right. Um, Click agree. But you can bet if there's something in there, it's going to protect one party. It's not going to be you. It's probably going to be the other person there. Um, so you want to be aware of what's in the credit agreement because sometimes there are things that can be triggered, and if you don't know of that in advance. Um, it can become become quite a surprise to you. So is there an easy way to read? Because I, I believe, I personally believe, and please correct me mm-hmm. if I'm wrong, but I personally believe that they're not designed for me, for mm-hmm. the consumer. Yep. It's filled with legalese exactly. and very official terms, and they are they have to provide that information. Mm-hmm. But it but they're not governed as to um, how that information can could be written or that's right. It's written to withstand a lawsuit. Basically, right. it's written to stand up in court and say that they've covered all the bases. Um, but no, there's no you know requirement for them to translate that into you know base non-jargon, something that everybody can understand. Non-legal, non-accountant, non-licensed insolvency trustee words. But what we want to do today is to say, here's a few issues to be aware of. And you've always got the right to phone up the bank and say, you know what, I don't quite understand this. Why don't you explain to me exactly what this means or to ask about this type of a provision um, and just see are any of these things applying. Okay, so so what do we pay attention to? Yeah, so a couple things. So even on the simple credit card agreements, there can be some hidden fees in the form of introductory, low interest rates, 
maintenance or membership costs or convenience fee charges. So you really want to take a look at what's defined on each of those categories. So if there's an introductory interest rate, um, credit card companies are very popular for doing balance transfers where you know it might be a very low interest rate, but just for a period of time. Yeah. It might be just for six months or for 12 months, and it might be just on the balance that you've transferred in, not on your new purchases. And what you really want to look at is what's the trigger for you to lose that introductory interest rate. And sometimes it's as simple as you were late on one payment. Okay. In some cardholder agreements, you forfeit this interest rate if you're late on a single payment to us during the term. So you can imagine if you moved a big balance over to a credit card thinking you had a lower rate um, and a payment bounces because your pay came late because of a stat holiday or something like that, and then you've lost that introductory interest rate. So you want to be careful with that. Um, you also want to be careful, are there going to be membership charges, you know, annual fees or different things like that, mm-hmm. or convenience fee charges? You know, what's it going to cost if you need to get a statement reprinted or if you're going to use another ATM? Oh. Oh my gosh, mm-hmm. statement reprinted. Yeah. Or if you do e-banking, this is, I learned this recently, uh, There, and I wanted uh, some sort of a, a record of the checks that I had mm-hmm. deposited through e-bank. Now, I've got the hard checks, yep. that's not a problem, but there was another piece of it that I wanted to know if they had or if they had a copy of the check that I had taken a picture of and mm-hmm. sent, and um, it would have cost me, was it over $25 right. to get that? Yeah. And I thought, forget it. Yeah. I'm just going to I'm just going to rely on my memory that mm-hmm. I actually looked after that properly. Well, and now that you know it, you'll keep copies for yourself Absolutely. and, and save, save oh, the yeah. cost there. Oh, yeah. You know, another thing that people aren't aware of is sometimes there's a special interest rate and it's not the special that you want. It's if you default on a payment, suddenly you're put into an accelerated category and your interest rate of 19% might go to 25 or 29%. So you want to look for that as well. You know, what happens if I'm late or uh, if I you know miss something on the card? Am I suddenly going to have my interest rate really increased? Right. Oof. So what are the other kinds of uh, debt that we need to be cautious of when it comes to this stuff? Yeah, so if you're getting a loan or a line of credit, you really need to be clear, are you pledging an asset as collateral? And sometimes it's very straightforward. If you're getting a home equity line of credit, you know you're putting your house up. If it's a mortgage or a car loan, you know exactly the assets that's there. Um, But I've seen some recent um, types of loans where sometimes they're, you know, instant cash types of loans, and they actually do take security over your vehicle. And the clients that I've seen, they didn't read enough of the fine print to see that if they default, on a single payment on this type of a loan, the lender has the right to go and impound their vehicle, charge them storage, and not give the vehicle back until the whole loan is paid in full. Wow. So they might default on the first payment, and they're going to have to pay 12 months of their car being seized from them. And that would be, uh, and that kind of fine print wouldn't be outlined to say, oh, if this happens, if Mm -hmm. this happens, if this happens, and it's part of the application or part of the process, this is in the back with the small writing Oh, man. It's all there because I had the client bring it into me. I'm like, okay, I can see this. And again, legally, I do this all day, every day. So I know what to look for. Um, But the person said, well, that wasn't explained to me. They said, oh, if you miss payments, you know, we'll work with you, so on and so forth. Um, And the client had brought it into me. thought, you know, are they in cahoots with the tow yard and the storage yard? And I don't know anything about that. I'm not going to speculate. But, you know, really it falls to the individual to self-educate because most of the time people don't have the ability to run things through a lawyer. Right. So I know payday loans, I I know what your 
position mm-hmm. is on them, and there and there there's a reason why, or there's a number of reasons why you are uh, very concerned about payday loans. But there's hidden costs. There's yeah. hidden costs with them. Yeah, you know, generally the cost that you're going to pay is about fifteen dollars for a hundred dollar loan. That's what's sent set in the government um, regulations. But there's a ton of different incidental fees. You know, twenty dollars for a bounced payment. Um, all of these things allow a, a payday loan to really go outside of the criminal code of Canada. So the criminal code of Canada sets the maximum interest rate at 60%. But if you actually add up the costs and fees of a payday loan on everything, it's almost 400% of interest is what you're actually paying. And it's all in the fees. You won't see that if you just look at the interest rate. And of course, people that are accessing payday loans, they're in a, in a particular situation where they, you know, it's a, it's a, it would, could be a panic, a real desperate kind of situation mm-hmm. that you're accessing that service yeah. and just being taken, t- uh, taken advantage of terribly. Mm-hmm. You really got to be careful. The latest one that I saw, and this is just this week, Elaine, and I couldn't believe it, uh, was the lady was signing for a payday loan and she came in to see me and I was explaining, you know, you don't need to be worried. They're threatening they're going to garnish your wages, but they'd have to sue you first. And I'm going to be able to help you before that happens. And she said, well, no, I think they got me to sign something that I gave them authority to seize wages. And I thought, well, no, I've never seen that before. She actually showed me a one-page agreement that not written in legalese, but basically, I don't know if it'd ever be binding, but it said, you know, I, client, give you payday loans, the ability to go straight to my HR department and take any missed payments, and I'm responsible for all of those costs, whatever it costs my HR to process it as oh well. My gosh. And I said to her, you know, well, why did you sign this? She said, well, I needed the loan, and it was all pretty quick, and no one really explained to me what I was signing. Right. So you've got people contracting out of some provisions. You know, the whole point that you have to be sued is to protect you and to give you some extra time. Um, but if you sign an agreement because you're not reading the fine print, sometimes you're frustrating that type of protection. I can't help but th- but think these people are being so taken advantage of because of their mm-hmm. situations, right? I feel that way. Like your, like your client who, you know... I needed the money. I mm-hmm. needed the money. Yeah, it's, it's the lender of last resort. It's the easiest funding to get are these payday lenders, but it's not one. It's typically four, five, ten different payday loans. They just you know start to multiply because you need to take the next one to pay off the first one. Exactly. So um, can we skip to the question, what are some of the areas you, you'd suggest that extra diligence is needed when it comes to what you do? Yeah, I think a couple of things. So, you know, one quickly is I've seen something around brokered loans lately, and that's where you basically, you think you're getting a loan, but you're paying a broker a large fee to arrange the loan, which when you actually add all the fees up, you're paying well more than 60% interest. So be careful if you see the term brokered loans. But I think the biggest area, Elaine, where there's still huge misconceptions of people making mistake is when they're seeking debt advice. So you've really got to understand if you're dealing with a credit counselor, if you're dealing with a trustee, if you're negotiating directly with a collection agent, Make sure you understand everything that's at play, the person's objectives. Um, A collection agency is never going to make you aware of everything that's going to make you better off at their expense. Uh, A credit counselor may have different objectives than you, given their funding model comes from the bank. The only person you can reasonably trust to give you independent, unbiased advice in your financial options is a licensed insolvency trustee. You guys are federally regulated. There's nothing that you can do that isn't already set out Mm -hmm. very clearly. Um, And if you want more information, uh, Sands and Associates has a great website. It's sands-trustee.com. It's filled with great questions and answers. Uh, pretty much everything you could possibly want to know, you can access in there, or you can give them a call, 1-800-661-3030, and get that consultation, that first consultation, as well as to find an office near you. You're listening to Dollars and Cents.
Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands & Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. For information on any of the services we talk about on the show, go to the website, sands-trustee.com, or better yet, call 1-800-661-3030 for a free consultation. Find an office near you. Regular thing that we do on the show, a bit of a sort of a client roundup. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's important. uh, And these are things that are just sort of interesting, either clients you've had or interesting stuff that's come in your mail. And that's what we're first going to talk about. Yeah, exactly. Something from the Royal Bank, which is so interesting. Well, I thought so, Elaine. I hope the listeners think so as well. And I think a lot of people probably received this notification. Um, But if you're anything like me, it's like the iTunes, you know, end user agreement. You scroll through, you click, I agree, you don't actually read any of this stuff, you figure it's going to be forced on you anyway. Right. Um, but I got this notice from the Royal Bank, and I've got a Royal Bank credit card. It says, important changes to your RBC Royal Bank credit card agreement. Please read and keep for your records, which I'm a diligent person. I'm going to do that. Right. And what they said is, effective August 1st, um, our cardholder agreement is being amended in accordance with new Quebec law. Okay. And so I thought that was interesting. So there's new laws in Quebec. I wonder if these laws are better for consumers or worse for consumers and what the differences are. And as I read through, Elaine, it looks like Quebec's getting a heck of a better treatment than we are here and definitely across the country, it appears. See, my first thought would have been, oh, based on what's going on in Quebec, they're making changes to their policy across the country. No. But no, that's not the case. No, it looks to me like there's been a change in law. And of course, the the credit card company has to address it within Quebec. So they're creating essentially two, two sets of rules, one rule for inside of Quebec and one rule for outside of Quebec. And the first aspect that jumped out to me about that was about minimum payments. Interesting. And we talk a lot in this show about minimum payments, that if you're only making the minimum payments, you're essentially trapped in that cycle of debt. You're paying 20, 30% interest. Um, you know, even a small debt, a $6,000 debt can keep you in there for 40 years. Exactly. And I've mentioned it before, but let's go into detail here because it's spelled out in black and white. Here is how a minimum payment is actually calculated for Royal Bank as of now. So your monthly statement will indicate your minimum payment. It will normally be any interest and fees shown in the calculating your balance section of your monthly statement plus $10. Okay. I'm not kidding, plus $10. So what that means, you could have charged a ton of purchases to the cards. What you're going to pay is your interest on things you've already charged long ago, your charges, and $10 is going to draw down your balance. So talk about making a minimum payment and not seeing your debt go anywhere. You might pay $200 and 190 of that is gone. It's just for interest and charges. Right. So that's what everyone is subject to right now. Now, what is Quebec doing about this is what it looks like to me is Quebec has figured out this minimum payment thing. It's a misnomer. Nobody should be contemplating just making the minimum payments and thinks they're doing, they're doing okay. So what Quebec has done now, and this is what's disclosed in the cardholder agreement, is if you reside in Quebec, your minimum payment will normally be 5% of the new balance shown on calculating your balance. 5% of the balance outstanding compared to $10, that's a massive difference. What that means is that consumers are going to see a credit card that's going to be basically 20 payment plan. You're going to be required to pay it off, you know, 5% a month. You're not looking at multiple years, six years, 40 years or whatever to clear things off. And would that balance, sorry, would that balance include the interest and all that stuff in it as well? Or is that just the balance balance of what you owe? What they've said is it's just the balance balance. So the okay. new balance, which I assume they're going to add to the balance, you know, your interest charges, your finance charges and okay. your purchases, but of the total amount, you're required to pay 5%. So much, much different. Again, really to me, 
any change in the psychology of a credit card to something that, yeah, you shouldn't plan to carry things for more than 20 months on a credit card. That, that's right. not a good way to be. And it's interesting, too, that they put a transitional plan in there as well, that if you had a credit card prior to August 1st of 2019, which is all, when all this stuff comes into effect, your minimum payment is going to start at 2.5%, and then it's going to increase in increments of 0.5% annually until 2024. So they're bringing all credit cards up to date on this, but they're doing it basically on a, a little bit of a staggered um, type of a, of a way. Super interesting. So mm-hmm. for those of you who always thought that the rest of the country operates under one set of rules and mm-hmm. Quebec operates under another set of rules, you're kind of right. Case in point here. Case in point. And from my point of view as an insolvency trustee, I think it would be far better if minimum payments were actually something reasonable that got you out of debt in 20 months. Right. Something like that as opposed to something that keeps you in debt for 40 years and you just keep paying it $10 a month at a time and the bank makes a ton of money off you over the years. And it would move people to realize that they're that they're in trouble yes. if they can't make those payments. Exactly. I'm I'm sunk here. Yeah. I can't do this. I I've tried to do it this month and I I it doesn't look like I, like I can do it next month. Mm-hmm. So now I need help. Oh, and that's a brilliant insight. Elaine, because you know, a lot of the time people come through the door to me when they can't make the minimum payments exactly. anymore. And if your minimum payment is ten bucks plus your interest, that's a lot more runway as opposed to five percent of your balance. Yes. If that balance gets big, you're going to see, okay, I've got a problem. Let me get some help. Let's head it off. So it's actually going to help a consumer uh, in a couple of different ways. Yes, I in believe Quebec. so. A yeah. Quebec consumer. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see what happens here too. You know, are we going to see credit card delinquency rates rise because, you sure. know, their minimum payments are going to be higher? Are we yes. going to see insolvency rates rise? I don't know. Quebec already has the highest bankruptcy rate in the country by quite a bit. So okay. I'm not sure if this is going to impact that one way or another, um, but I just thought just night and day difference about a law that I think is going to improve things for consumers, more transparency, help them get out of debt, as opposed to what we're all going to be subject to, which is 10 bucks of your hard-earned money goes to reduce your balance. Got it. And you doing the job that you do as a licensed insolvency trustee, will you see data to come in the in the coming months mm-hmm. or year uh, of what kind of impact that will have on oh, Quebec yeah. residents? Yeah, there's okay. national insolvency st- uh, standards that okay. come out. Now, there's always a lag. You know, when this change happens, it'll probably be six to 12 months before any volumes change, but it's something I think a lot of trustees will be keeping an eye on. Absolutely. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as part of our client roundup, let's... Oh, sorry. One more. One more piece. Sorry, buddy. One more piece. Oh, no. This one was the big one. The minimum payments really kind of stuck in my craw there. But a second one, um, you know, I'm not a fan of all these little fees and charges and things. And I know it's where the bank can really make a lot of their extra income. But from a client, you don't often know about these fees until you're charged them. And one that I hear of a lot is the over limit fee. Okay. And the way this is disclosed here is we may from time to time allow the amount you owe us to exceed your credit limit by authorizing transactions in excess of your credit limit. Very nice of them, right? We'll allow you to owe more than your limit. We'll authorize a transaction. An over-limit fee will be charged to your account when your balance exceeds your credit limit at any time during your monthly statement. Okay. Okay. And how much is that over-limit fee? Well, it's $29. It's not nothing. Right, you go right. over over your balance, even by fifty dollars. You got a thousand dollar limit. You charge to a thousand and fifty, and they approve that transaction. You're paying a twenty nine dollar over limit fee. Yes. Now, if you keep reading down the fine print here, one of the last sentences: the over limit fee does not apply if you reside in Quebec. <laughs> That's so there you go. Fascinating. Uh-huh. So the banks, wow. I think they're prepared to have a lot less profitable customers in the province of Quebec, and they're going to subsidize it from elsewhere. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Man. Okay. Now we can go to clients. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about a couple of clients that have been in my offices recently. And the last couple months, Elaine, things have just been off the hook. The phone's ringing like crazy. A lot of people are coming in with a lot of challenges. Um, nothing really new or different, perhaps a little more payday loans than in the past, but just a lot of people really feeling stretched. So two examples I wanted to talk about today. Um, you know, the first one was a service industry manager, uh, a gentleman I sat down with. He was age 48 years old and he had accumulated about $21,000 of debt uh, across three different credit cards. Uh, He'd been doing fine until he was rent evicted and the long-term tenancy came to a really abrupt end. And I'm seeing more and more of that. You know, people um, had rents, you know, that was maybe $800 a month. Uh, They're rent evicted and when they can find a new place, it's $1,500 a month or more. And this is not even in the downtown core. This is, you know, North Burnaby was the the situation. Um, So this person ended up incurring uh, credit card debt to make ends meet and his minimum payments are more than $600 per month, which was basically just covering the interest as, as we talked about here. Right. Uh, he was starting to miss payments and was receiving threats that his wages would soon be garnished or seized. So the mm-hmm. creditors were calling, they were sending letters saying, you know, our next step is to take legal alternative steps, uh, which would mean that his wages would come. Right. So what did we do? Yeah, what did you do? Well, we, as we always do, we explored all of the available options. You know, we looked at the new rental cost and we figured out, um, you know, this gentleman was just not going to be able to pay this debt down over time. His fixed costs had increased so much every month. Uh, what we did figure out was that he could afford a monthly payment of about $125. Um, that could fit into his budget, still allow him rent, shelter, car, and things like that. And what we worked out was a $125 proposal over a 60-month period would be a total repayment of $7,500. So he walked in owing $21,000 plus interest. Uh, people, you know, at the door saying that they're going to be seizing his wages. We filed a consumer proposal for just over a third of the total amount, no further interest, all costs are included, and no worries about being garnished. And I was so happy when we sat down, we signed off on a budget that included all the obligations, included the proposal payment, and I just saw him breathe a sigh of relief of saying, okay, I've made it through the crisis now, I've got the new apartment, it's way too much compared to what I was paying before, but at least my debts have been able to, you know, scale down to match. Yeah, and you can handle that, mm-hmm. handle that. Exactly. Excellent. And do we still have time for one more? I think we got one more. Yes. Great. Uh, and this one, uh, definitely this is a, an aspect that I see a lot of is with student loans. So in this situation, there's another gentleman uh, who's previously self-employed and he had accumulated a bunch of student loans in his past. Um, so he's a 44-year-old male, had a series of self-employed business over the last 10 years, mainly working in the film industry. Okay. I have a lot of clients in the film industry and for the most part, they're typically contractors, which means that they have to remit their own taxes, sometimes their own GST. Yes. And what a lot of employers, or not employers, but I guess contractors, um, are requiring is that you show to them that you've got no CRA debt, that you're sorting out your business every every year with oh. the government, um, because they don't want somebody on set that suddenly gets garnished. They have to deal with things. So a lot of yeah, a lot of film industry clients. Um, they, as soon as there's the first sniff of an issue with CRA, they come in to see us and we sort things out. Excellent. Um, in this situation, the gentleman had some severe medical issues that forced him to close down his business, and he was now working as an employee, um, but at a much lower wage than before. Mm-hmm. Um, he had accumulated about $73,000 of debt, so significantly more than our first example. That's huge. This, yeah, oh, indeed. You can just imagine. And this was across six credit cards, two Ooh. lines of credit, and a student loan. Oh, you know, man. some months he told me he was manically moving money around. He felt like a day trader just trying to get things to, you know, fit. Yeah. Uh, he had filed his taxes recently and he was expecting a large refund, which, you know, would have really helped. But CRA seized the tax refund because he was delinquent on his student loans. Wow. Um, he was worried that his creditors were going to sue him and he was barely able to carry his minimum payments as his income was around $2,200 a month after taxes. Okay. 
So what did we do? Yeah, what did you do? Well, we again reviewed all the options. He considered filing for bankruptcy. And what would have happened based on his income and his lack of assets, his creditors would have received nothing back in a bankruptcy. He would have just paid the minimum trustee fees and that would be it. Um, Instead, he decided to offer a proposal. And it was a bit of a lower proposal that I thought they might not accept, but we tried it. And he offered a proposal of $18,000 on a debt of $73,000. So about 25% repayment. And it was a proposal of $300 a month over a term of 60 months. So in sum, we took an impossible debt burden of about $73,000, we reduced it by 75%, and we gave him five years to pay off that reduced balance at 300 a month. See, and that restores so much too, just knowing that I, I am paying my debt, I'm doing everything that I can do, mm-hmm. uh, is pretty extraordinary for this guy. Man, exactly. owing $73,000, that's a lot. Yeah, and, and just in case there's any questions out there in the listeners, he did have a student loan, and because he had been out of school for more than seven years, the student loan's the same as every other debt. It was part of the proposal. It doesn't come out the other side. This dealt with 100% of his issue. Excellent. If any of this is resonating with you, go check out the website for Sands and Associates. It's sands-trustee.com. Their website just chock-a-block full with some great questions and very thorough answers. And if you want to sit down and talk to somebody, that's easy to do as well. 1-800-661-3030 to find an office near you where you can sit down and talk about your situation and see if there's something that Sands and Associates can do. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. Welcome to Dollars and Cents. I'm Elaine Scollin, along with Blair Manton from Sands and Associates. They're experts in helping you get out of debt. I gotta say, Blair, I loved reading this segment. Oh, good. All about it before <laughs> before we're recording it, yep. uh, because I think uh, this holidays it's it's. The segment's all about holiday spending tips for less debt and more cheer. Because here's the deal. Depending on where you are on that scale of working, owing money, making money, Christmas can either be awesome or it can be unbelievably stressful mm-hmm. because of that that heavy, heavy push of consumerism that we need to buy stuff, we need to create all the and of course it, you know. It's all sort of fantasy in some ways, right? I mean, it's yeah, trying to create childhood dreams, you know, all of that stuff. And I'm so guilty of it, so that's why I that's why I included that part yeah, of it, it. It's such a fascinating time of the year. It really is the best and the worst of times for for a it lot is. of folks. And yeah, the gift giving can be so completely stressful. Is, um, yeah. You know, trying to meet people's expectations, knowing you might be having some financial challenges yourself, and then sometimes looking back and saying, "Oh my God, I stressed on this so much last year. I gave all these gifts. How many are actually being used this year?" And why? Why did I stress? And and then you can get into the whole consumerism and disposable gifts and things. So you can very quickly get get pretty negative on the whole thing, And that in and of itself is stressful, like just Mm -hmm. thinking about all the different pulls and pushes that we get. Anyways, so let's talk about strategies that people can consider or at least just even give a little bit of thought to leading up to and during the holidays. Yeah, so let's talk first on on gift giving. So there's a a couple things that, that we wrote down here. And then there's also one extra one that I didn't write down but it's one that I've used in the past and we'll talk about that cool. as well. Okay. Uh, so the first couple, so number one, charitable donations. This is an outstanding thing to do for even children, you know, at a relatively youngish age, you know, old enough to understand, but what a great conversation to have as a family that, you know, hey, instead of um, giving everybody a small gift, what we did is we pulled together and we got a bigger gift that's actually going to make a positive impact in the world. Um, I love, there's a couple of programs, I think Foster Parents Plan has gifts of hope, um, UNICEF has gifts of magic, and what they 
are is literally you can bring water to a village that never had water before. You can pay to have a water pump installed there. You can pay to have nutrition to a school uh, to a schoolhouse who never had nutrition before. You know, you can buy a goat for a village. There's all these. I really, love the goat for yeah, the village. Really interesting, different things, and you can yeah. imagine a family discussion about. Well, what we did is we bought a goat, and now this goat, this family, you know, typically in Africa, um, now has a, a goat running around the village providing you know various things that goats do. So, um, just a wonderful thing compared to something that can be disposable. And what I love is a gift that has a double benefit. So the benefit obviously is to, is to your, yourself, your family, and to, and to the people who are getting that um, that goat, for example. But the extra benefit is you get a tax receipt. Yes. So depending on your tax bracket, you know, 35 to 50% of that gift might be coming right back to you um, in the form of a tax refund. And I don't know. I think that's, I think that's okay. I yeah. think that makes sense, especially giving um, a family or, or some kids, uh, nieces, nephews, whatever, grandchildren, uh, the opportunity to think about uh, even just outside of their own little world, mm-hmm. right? And not getting that more Lego or whatever, yeah. whatever the hottest thing is. And if you wanted to take it to even the next level, I don't know many families that do, but you could say, well, here's an opportunity for us to learn about taxes as well, family. So <laughs> when we get that tax refund back, we can either re-donate it or we can, you know, spend that or Fair something enough. like that. So then, you know, the kids can understand how taxes work. I don't know anyone that does that, but no, anyway. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, and that education, starting that early. Exactly. Okay. So I like the, I like the next one, experience experiences as gifts. Yeah, so we're getting more and more to, I think, a consciousness as a society that we're willing to pay for experiences and experiences tend to linger and last longer than just a disposable gift, for example. But experiences don't have to cost a whole lot. If you think back, the happiest memories that you've had in your life, you probably remember the people that you were with and what you were doing, uh, but you don't necessarily remember, oh my God, it was on this you know $10,000 cruise or something like that. It might be something really simple. Right. Um, so you, what you could do, a couple ideas, would be to learn a new skill um, as a family or as a group together. So maybe it's painting, it's crafting, or it's cooking. Uh, maybe you catch something together, a live performance. You know, it's a show or go out to a Christmas market uh, or even a sport event, just something mm-hmm. where you'll have something shared together that you can all remember. Uh, sometimes it's even fun to book a local walking tour or an excursion where you already live. So be a tourist in your own city. Be amazed. Things that you walk by every day of your life, if you take a tour, then you know the history, the stories behind. There's a whole lot more richness um, to where you live if you do something like that. Really great ideas, mm-hmm. I got to say. The last one, and this is personal for me, um, is I found a few years ago, I've got a big extended family. They're, most of them are in Newfoundland. Um, and instead of, you know, just sending, you know, a, a short card and, and a small gift, I sat down and wrote a personal letter to all of my aunts and uncles. I heard for years later how impressed they were that, you know, sat down, handwritten on sheets of paper, you know, maybe a page each, but just letting them know about my life and some memories that we shared. It was a very meaningful thing to do. And other than, you know, the time and the stamp, it cost just about nothing. So wow. don't underestimate the importance of just a personal handwritten letter not to someone who might not see you much. Okay, so all super great ideas. I got to say, I'm feeling a bit inspired. Mm-hmm. Um, let's go to the hard stuff, though. So if you Tip- do buy something. <laughs> yeah, if you do buy something. So tips when it comes to spending and avoiding mm-hmm. going over budget, because that's, you know, that's the stressful part, right? Like mm-hmm. you're thinking you're doing the right thing and you're wanting to give, and then all of a sudden, bam. Yeah, so we're assuming that you've got a budget and you're going to do your Ooh, best to, st- to, to stay within <laughs> it. So, you know, table stakes right there. Um, so a couple things, you know, first off is to avoid the impulse buys. Yeah. So you have to realize that it's not a fair fight. This is psychological warfare. Things popping up in your inbox aren't popping up to everyone at the same time. They are targeted specifically at you based on what a retailer or a Google might know about you. Um, so a couple things that you've got 
got to do first off is unsubscribe from email lists from all but your very, very favorite places that you shop from. Mm. Uh, it's very easy to get added to email lists and a lot of people never actually delete themselves. So especially this time of year, you're going to get all of these offers. It just seems too good to be true. Yeah. Um, but quite often, if you were to play this back a year ago, all those offers that seem too good to be true, they probably went on sale again a little bit later. And are you or is the person actually using what you purchased? Maybe or maybe not. Um, so again, avoiding the impulse buys are important. So unsubscribe from the email offers. You know, if you find that just the temptation of being out and around shopping is too much, consider getting your shopping delivered. So whether it's grocery delivery, so you, you know, you can't just look anywhere else, um, or if it's Amazon, then you're not going to be browsing other aisles, but do consider delivery as opposed to going to the mall. Um, the last thing, and this comes into if you are doing online shopping, is invoke the 30-minute rule. So if you think you really want to buy something that's sitting in your cart, walk away, wait 30 minutes, come back and see if that desire is still as strong. Usually, and you're talking about online shopping here. Exactly, yeah. 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 Most impulses, if you just kind of surf the impulse wave, so to speak, most impulses are going to subside in 5 to 10 minutes and you'll be rational again. Give yourself 30 minutes to come back and then see if you still actually want that purchase. <laughs> That's excellent. I would never have thought about that in a million years. Um, okay, so the next one, know the true cost. Well, isn't the cost the cost? Well, it is and it isn't because it's interesting when, when people say, oh my God, I saved $100, but they still bought something for $400. Right. So really be careful when something is, you know, 60, 70% off. Okay, you saved a huge amount of money, but you're still actually paying whatever the price is at the end of the day. So don't assume that the savings is actually money in your pocket. It's not. You're making a purchase and it's money out of your pocket. Um, you know, so that, that's one part of it. Um, but also be aware that if you're not paying the full amount of it, if this is going to sit on your credit card, you've got to bake that into the price. If you're going to be paying this off for another year, that's probably 20 to 30% or even more additional to the price. So, you know, the $500 iWatch this year could be the $800 iWatch next December if you have not paid it off on your credit card. So, make sure you have a plan in mind to pay it off. And if it's going to go on credit, build that right into the price and it's not going to look like the good, as good of a deal as it might look now. That's fairly good. So this time of the year always emphasizes togetherness, staying connected with loved ones. We know that. Is there anything that you can add uh, to that conversation about spending tips on that note? Yeah, so a couple tried and true ones. So if there are a large group of people where everyone typically buys for everybody else, you know, consider a group present swap or a secret Santa where everybody's just buying a single gift. Yeah. Um, you know, sometimes you can even have a contest and see who can be most creative with a $20 budget. And this can be very, very exciting and fun when you see what people can actually do. That's good. Uh, you know, the last thing is really just to say, just to look out for others at, during this time of year. So mm. whether it's a friend or a family member, sometimes there's a financial strain and an emotional strain as well. So really just take time to check in with the important people in your lives right around the holiday season. That's excellent. So if you're worried um, that debt might spoil your holiday season or... If you're thinking ahead and you want to get ahead on your New Year's resolutions, don't hesitate to give Sands & Associates a call. Uh, in less than an hour, they can help you figure out a plan to become debt-free. Sands & Associates, here's their toll-free number, 1-800-661-3030. Or don't forget the websites, just chock-a-block full with great information at sands-trustee.com. You're listening to Dollars and Cents. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.